My name is Joe, and I'm a very grateful alcoholic. Because of the beautiful grace of God and the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and an outstanding sponsor, I've been sober since June 14, 1993. Thank you. Um, this is um, a, a wonderful opportunity. The um, First off, though, I, I got to tell you, I, I'm looking up here and I see these nuts and bolts in these big beams up here. And for those of you who haven't ever heard Angie before, thank God they're there because she can blow the place up. She is powerful. And then Sunday morning, we're going to hear Steve. And if you've never heard him, he's one of my AA heroes. Um, also, Charlie was outstanding. Oh, you guys are beautiful. What great representation of Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank you all very much. And um, so now, what, what i got to tell you, the most important thing to me is that I have a sponsor and that I am sponsored and that I remain sponsorable. But that's also one of the most important things for our, uh, our marriage. Is, is having those are, in, in, are very important. I have a home group. It is the Away Out group in Bastrop, Texas. And I'm very active in, uh, in the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous in all three areas of the Circle and Triangle, like Myers and Chris. And I let them out. They did an outstanding job, of course. I'm friends with all these guys. We see them a lot of weekends out of the year. Um, I've done a lot of workshops on the traditions. This is our first on applying them to your loving relationships. Um, I want to first off, I want to say that Suzanne and I are not experts in the field of alcoholism, relationships, or Alcoholics Anonymous, or the traditions. We're not uh, counselors, therapists. Uh, we're just a couple people who have been through a lot of relationships we failed. The traditions came out of failure, and, and Bill wrote these traditions. At about 10 years, AA was coming apart at the seams. And there was disarray all over, these seemingly erratic people, all sorts of things coming down. And he heard something about the Washingtonian movement. He uh, did some research, and in writing the 12 traditions, he found that there were some defects of character innately in him that each one of these traditions addressed. And he found that sort of left-handedly. And I have really come to love and appreciate the 12 traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous. I want to go over right now just a few things so that you know where I'm coming from and where I started, where my baseline was. I never really had any good examples, and there's people who had great examples and ended up here. But there is a part in the big book that says, we think a man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough. A much more important demonstration of these principles are needed in his respective home life, occupation, and affairs. I've seen a lot of people, and I personally have, have uh, experienced this, I've seen a lot of people who get to this wall, it's called the second surrender. And you're going to meetings, you're working the steps, but you keep hitting this wall. And it's, it seems like it's a bad thing. It's where 
my relationships, I kept going out with the same girl over and over and over and over. And I always knew where it was going to end. And it ended the same place I've been married. Suzanne is my fourth wife. Um, Dr. Bob's son, Smitty, introduced us. And um, I'll forever be eternally grateful to him for that. But uh, he introduced his wife, uh, Betty, those of you who have ever had the opportunity of meeting her, as the incumbent. So Suzanne doesn't like it, but she's the incumbent. Um, so I kept ending up. I've been married three times previously. The first one, I, I didn't understand that that I had a problem with me. I would always put her under the microscope. And what AA has taught me to do is instead of looking at things under a microscope, to look at them through a mirror. Ooh, that's pretty powerful. And I, with, with my first marriage, she was having the baby. We we're having these Lamaze classes, you know. Well, that was interfering with my drinking, you know, she's having a baby, so I, I, you know, I was nervous, I needed something for my nurse. So she would do her little Lamaze thing, and I would go downstairs, drink some vodka, come up there. Well, I ended up making a scene, they kicked me out of the hospital, I went out and got drunk, got in a car wreck, I'm in the same hospital now, the ambulance take me. We're there the next day looking at my baby daughter through the aquarium, you know, where the babies are. And I have a neck brace on and she's standing there. And for God's sakes, what's the big deal? Women have babies every day. I get in a car wreck, what, once, twice a whole lifetime, you know? I didn't understand the selfishness and self-centeredness. It was horrible. Um, the second, that one obviously ended. The second marriage, she hated me. We ended up getting a divorce, and then she saw us getting sober, and she says, why don't you come back? And you quit going to AA, because they got all those girls over there. So I came back, and I went around all over to, the, to my home group saying, oh, look how great AA is for me. Look at this. You guys, you're working such a good program. Well, she was setting me up. She said, you know, why don't you get a vasectomy, and we'll be able to... You know, we're Catholic, and you get the vasectomy, and I won't have to take birth control. You can go to hell, but I won't know. Um, I think that was the idea behind it. And um, I said, okay, so our AA family, our AA reunited our family. I went there, had the vasectomy. I come back, sit down on my recliner. She says, come in. She runs in the bedroom, and there's five policemen there, divorce, protective orders, and everything. And after they're there, I said, man, I just had a vasectomy. Are you kidding me? I said, oh, my God, you're kidding me. Well, we've got to do our, our, our job. So um, she walks out of the bedroom and says, there will never be another kid that's going to be calling you daddy, you SOB. I've been sleeping with your best friend the whole time, and I'm never going to. So that seems to be where I end up in relationships. And the fact that I got sober didn't change that. You know, I'm sober, I'm doing God's work, I'm sponsored, but I keep ending up right there where these women hate me. And where my moment of clarity was is I got this good friend, he's a great attorney in AA, and he's fighting with three of my ex-wives. 
And his secretary says, you know, our, our senior partner was in here, and he says, you know, that's the first. He's been practicing law for 43 years. That's the first that he's ever had anyone fighting all three ex-wives at the same time. Whoa. Well, there's a part in the 12 and 12 that talks about the primary fact is that we fail to recognize is our total inability to form a true partnership. What the 12 traditions have done for me is like, I used to take my children to the bowling alley. And those of you who had children know that they got these blow-up little bumpers they put in the gutters to keep it from going out, and, or, or um, the ball going in the gutter. What the traditions and the steps have done, the traditions have been on the, on the right, the, tra the steps were on the left, and it kept me from going in the gutter. And it seems like when we practice that, things get better. And when we don't, they get worse. A couple of things. Um, when I was going through this, and, and I ended up with the same girl all the time, over and over and over, um, I went to my sponsor, and he said, you know, Joe, it's just a shame. You wake up every morning with, uh, at odds having 50% of the population as your enemy. And he said, it's just a shame. The most love... And the most support a man can ever receive from God comes through the love and support of a woman. He says, I've been through the depression, and if you've got a woman by your side to love you, you can make it through anything, Bubba. And you know what? You're just going to miss it this time around. You're just probably one of those guys in AA that ain't going to get it. And I've got to tell you, that was the saddest day in my life because you know what? I knew he was right. I knew he was right. And I said, what do I got to do? He says, you can't do anything about it. There is one who has all power. That one is God. And you're going to have to find him, son. But it's going to mean you're going to have to get rid of some old ideas. My whole life, I had prayed, God help me. God help me. God help me. And then I'd see her and I'd say, oh, God, give me. God, give me. God, give me. And he called me on that. I mean, it was like he was reading my mind. And... He said, you're going to have to get to the point where you say, God, use me. God, use me. God, use me as a channel. Get out of that. The takers are losers. And if you can ever get to the point where you're not a taker, that you're a giver, you got a, a chance. He sent me over to a couple of old-timers. One of them is deceased now. His name was Ed. And he says, no, what are, you, what are you sending me? What are you over here for? And I told him what the deal was. And he says, well, son, you've worked the steps. It's time to hit the traditions. And I called this woman a horrible name, and I will not repeat it. But he says, what did you call her? And I told him. And he goes, why did you use that word? And I said, well, I just told you what she did to me. He goes, I think more of myself than to ever use a word like that. I said, wow. He goes, don't ever use that word in front of me, because I think more of you than that. And that really, really hit me hard. The other thing is, they sent me over to Bob Jurgensen, Bob J., an old-timer. And I said, Bob, I had seen somebody, and they said, I need to talk to you. And he says, okay. And I explained the deal. He had me write down. He says, you want to know why you never met the right woman? I said, yeah. And he said, you're not going to like it. I said, well, tell me. That was a magic handshake or something. He says, because you've never introduced her to the right man. And he says, this is all about you. It's no longer about them. He says, I want you to write down 20 things that you're looking for in a relationship. 
And I did that. And then he says, okay, I'm, I want you, one being, it doesn't have to be there, five, this is a deal breaker. And I did that. All 20 things. I came up with, I was looking for an 81. And then he says, all right, every one of these relationships that I went over earlier with y'all, let's score at the end of them what number they were. They were all 60s. And I said, wow. And he goes, okay, now I'm not going to ask you to do this because you seem to be pretty delusional. I'm going to write down what I score you. Guess what my score was? 61. Water seeks its own level. And I would, I would suggest any of y'all who are having troubles with this, do this inventory. It was extremely powerful. One of the things that he had me do, there was a guy with 39 years in the program who's, who's passed on. He sent me over to see Buddy. And I went over and saw Buddy. And he said, Joe, he wanted me to talk to you about, for my master's, I did a thesis with two nuns. And what we did is we went down to the Bear County Courthouse and we got 350 people who got married over 50 years ago. And we went around until we finally had interviewed 50 of them. And there's some things that they all seem to have in common. And I said, okay, what is it? He said this. He said, they all genuinely liked their mate and were best friends. He said that they thought their mate was a kind and decent considerate, trustworthy friend and person. He said they always saw the good in the other and never ever thought the other one capable of doing anything deceitful or hurtful. He says, when you can become that, the right woman will come to you. And I assiduously worked the 12 traditions. I worked very hard. And you see, now, a little bit about these traditions is the steps brought me to a point where I could at long last be at peace with myself. But I always knew I wanted to love and I wanted to be loved, but I didn't know anything about it. The more I tried to go out and get it, the more I couldn't have it. And the traditions brought me to a point where I could be at long last at peace with you. And when that happened, I went up to Brownwood, Texas at an AA conference very much like this, and I met this lovely gift from God, and we've been together ever since. And that's by the grace of God. It's nothing that I did. Now, I, I would just like to say that the 12 traditions are a guide to better ways of working, living, and enjoying a happy marriage. They are as important to the sanity and survival of our marriage as the 12 steps are to our personal sobriety and peace in mind. Tradition 1 describes the problem, our lack of unity. And Tradition 12 tells us what will happen if we abide by the traditions. And it even goes so far as to warning us, things are going to get so good, you've got to be careful that you don't let them spoil you. Now, that sounds like a good deal, right? And I, I, I just I want to um, turn it over to my lovely wife. And, and one other thing I do want to say is this, is I sponsor a, a lot of men. And my sponsor tells me that, you know, it talks about in the 12 and 12, the chief activator of our defects of character is primarily fear. See, I've always wanted to have an intimate 
at relationship, but the two words that are interchangeable is intimacy and vulnerability. And I can't have one without the other. What has happened is, by trusting these 12 traditions, the principles, by the grace of God that came through those principles, I was able to do that and experience that. And I'll turn it over to Suzanne. My name is Suzanne, and I'm a very grateful alcoholic. Um, I got sober on January the 1st, 2001. It was not a New Year's resolution. It just kind of worked out that way. Um, I uh, have a relationship history kind of like Joe's, although I have to say nobody's suggested a vasectomy yet, so I'm very, very glad for that. Uh, I was married twice uh, before uh, before I got sober. I was in the middle of a divorce as I was coming into sobriety as many of us are. It's like great, quite a lot of wreckage. Um, I don't tend to marry, uh, I well, Joe's my first alcoholic, you know, I'm I'm the one who always had all the alcoholic drama, you know, in the relationship. I did not want to share that spotlight with anybody. So, you know, my, my first two marriages, I didn't marry alcoholics. I married kind of emotionally shut down workaholics because, you know, God bless them. They just go to work every day, and I just create a lot of havoc in, in the relationship. And you know, at least the bills get paid. So, you know, I neither one of us brought a brought a great history into this thing. And, and, you know, Joe and I met, you know, I look back now and, and, you know, as he said, we are not experts at relationships. Sometimes I think if we're expert at anything, it's what not to do. I mean, I think we've done everything wrong until it finally dawned on us that perhaps the program might have something to, to suggest about what to do right. And, uh, you know, we met at 10 months sober, and, you know, it was just like it talks about in the 12 and 12, you know, boy meets girl in AA campus. I, I love that joke that you can tell when alcoholics are on the second date because somebody's pulling up with a U-Haul. That was kind of our story, wasn't it? <laughs> it was right after 9-11. Sean, I was in the Army Reserve, and... Uh, I was getting activated to go to Washington, D.C., and, and, and I had met Joe at this conference. I was with somebody else. And, uh, you know, but I had met Joe at this conference, and, and we kind of stayed in touch. And I, I went back and I told my sponsor, I said, I don't know what it is about this guy. He is so not my type. And she said, Suzanne, for God's sake, I've heard your fifth step. Fifth step. Be grateful he's not your type. <laughs> You know, just possibly this might be God doing for you what, what you would not have the sense to do for yourself. And so, uh, you know, I don't know, we're so alcoholic. I, I said to Joe, and I'd move up to Washington, and I said, you know, would you like to come up for a couple of weeks? And, we, you know, we can kind of see if, you know, we're going to go anywhere. And I don't want to, like, embarrass you with the rest of the story. But, I mean, we haven't been apart, you know. And, and I would love to tell you that it has just, like, been one smooth ride. But, you know, when you get two alcoholic egos in one relationship, wow, it gets really, what's the word, volatile? I love that word. It sounds so tame. It's volatile. You know, we, we know this couple of alcoholics who are married, and, and they would talk about having hallway sex, and we said, my God, that sounds kinky. What is it? And they said, you know, it's when you're sitting at opposite ends of the hallway and you're shouting at you. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've had that. 
So, you know, the, the, the blessed thing about these traditions is, is that when we are diligent about practicing them, you know, we don't have to have that kind of relationship. You know, we haven't yelled at each other in a good long time. And most of the time today we're respectful of each other. And, and that's because of these steps and it's because of these traditions. And we're so grateful for that. Because the truth of the matter is, is that I think we came in like most of us do. You know, I didn't want to just come to AA and not drink. I wanted to come to AA and get a whole life. You know, I've been divorced twice, and I always said I just divorced and then I didn't divorce the idea of marriage. You know, I wanted to have a family, and I have a family today, and I have this program that. Uh, the, the first tradition of short form says, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. And in terms of our marriage, that means our common welfare should come first. Our healthy relationship, the health of our relationship depends upon our unity. Now, you know, i got to tell you, that it, two sentences, it sounds so easy. But how on earth do two alcoholics with two very large, healthy egos and a lot of self-will get to unity? That, that is not an easy thing. And, and I have to tell you that, that for us, the, the answer is really short. It's a three-letter word, and it's a lot of God. I was thinking on the way here, because I'm kind of a visual person, you know, our marriage, we're kind of like an Oreo, and God's the, the, the icing in the middle that holds us together. It's the glue that holds us together. Because for a long time, what we had is we had two people, two separate people who lived in the same house, whose first thought in the morning was, what is in it for me? And there's no unity there. We loved each other. You couldn't have told it if you hung out with us for very long. <laughs> but we loved each other. We just didn't know how to, how to have that unity. And, and I'm so grateful for this. And, and i got to tell you that I, I didn't grow up in an alcoholic family, but I did grow up, my parents are both children of alcoholics, so I grew up with a lot of Alanonism. You know, my, my mother's favorite remark about all my boyfriends and husbands was, oh, God, they have so much potential. You know? And, you know, I think if I have learned anything, it's that it's not my job. It's not his job to find my potential and develop my potential. It's not my job to develop his potential. You know, in the context of a loving marriage where God is the center, God will do that. But I took that responsibility on for him for a long time, for past husbands. He took it on for me. It was really sick. You know, I, Carrie, you probably this, and, and Jimmy Williams used to say, you know, when you put sick plus sick, what do you get? You get a lot of sick. And, and I know how to do sick. And it, it has just been a wonderful thing to learn how to do something else. So, you know, it's really important for me to remember that unity does not mean that what we're bringing to the relationship are really like two half-human beings, and somehow we're going to, like, put ourselves together and we're going to come up with one, one entire well person. Because that's how I always did it before. I love in the 12 and 12 where it talks about how not once did we ever try to be a worker amongst workers. You know, one in the family, one in the group. We were always trying to be the top of the heap or the bottom of the heap, because that's my story. 
And, and, you know, it's really hard to have unity in that situation. And, you know, the other thing is, you know, the big book says, Charlie was talking about it last night, selfishness and self-centeredness, that, that is the root of my troubles. And part of the way that selfishness has expressed itself in past relationships and in this relationship at times is I've tried to put that responsibility for making me well onto that other person. You know, I've asked that, I've asked another human being to take on a burden that only God can take on. And then I'm angry when they can't do it. I've tried to take on that burden for, you know, past relationships. And then I'm angry at them because I can't do it. You know, I just cannot get away from this thing about God is going to have to be in the center of this relationship. We used to hear people say that, that God was the most important thing in their lives, and then came their sobriety, and then came their marriage. And I, I thought, that's terrible. You know, I grew up Southern Baptist, for God's sake, the family is the most important thing. And I really didn't understand that today, I really do. Because the fact of the matter is, is I can't love my husband. I cannot show my husband the love that God would have me give him unless there's God in my life, and I remember that. I, I just want to say one other thing, and that is, you know, yesterday afternoon, Joe and I had the opportunity to go uh, to a memorial for a very dear friend of ours who died in sobriety at 27 years sober, and his wife had about the same amount of time. And Charlie was just, Charlie and Senior, just lovely people. You know, we have learned so much watching the, the laughter and, and the fun that they have together and the deep commitment they have together. And in that memorial, I hope I don't cry. You know, Cindy stood up and she talked about what Charlie had been in her life. And, they, and his two remaining siblings stood up and his aunt stood up. And their seven combined kids from combined marriages stood up and talked about what Charlie meant in their life. And their grandkids stood up. And I thought, this is what AA means. This is what happens when we put these steps and these traditions in our life. It's not just that we get the recovery. It's not just that we get the healing. That healing carries through down the generations. And that's the legacy that we want to live for our kids today. Thank you. Thank you, Suzanne. There's a couple of things that I left out. And, and one is that... There's some really good CDs over here on this topic uh, by Dick and Peggy Martin and Dave and Polly Pistol. Um, and I would like to acknowledge, uh, I talked to Dick Martin uh, a lot during uh, preparation for this and uh, Dave Pistol. And also with my sponsor Bob Darrell and Jim Willis in San Antonio as well as Bob and Joan McAteer. Uh, in West Virginia, and I just want to, on the CD, acknowledge them and thank them for that. Um, tradition 2, what we're, we're going to do is we're going to read the short form of the tradition, and then we're going to write the principle that we got out of that, that we apply to our relations, our marriage, and then we're going to give three questions on a checklist for that inventory. Um, the second tradition is for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants, they do not govern. And the principle for our marriage is this, for our marriage purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Neither of us govern. 
What I like about this is servants don't boss. God is the boss and he's the only authority. Suzanne quoted that uh, out of the 12 and 12 on page 53 where it says, We have not once sought to be one in a family, to be a friend among friends, to be a worker among workers, to be a useful member of society. Always we tried to struggle to the top of the heap or hide underneath it. The, our, the self-centered behavior blocked a partnership relation with any of us, those about us. Of true brotherhood, we had small comprehension. Servants don't boss. The highest you can get in AA is being servant. It's the upside-down triangle. And when you apply that here through this tradition, marriages go well, relationships go well, jobs go well. Um, God talks to me through our group conscience. Here's something that Fred, Fred P., who's recently passed with... He told me, he says, Joe, the, the 11th step is to the individual what the second tradition is to the marriage. And I said, well, you're going to have to explain That seems a little abstract. And he explained it to me. He says, God speaks to you when you're praying, all right? Well, your, your marriage has a group conscience. And I said, well, I don't understand. Can I see your wedding ring on? You see, what is our group purpose? Suzanne is a whole, and I am a whole. And what our group purpose is, is right there where they overlap. You see that? That's our group conscience right there. And that's where God speaks to us through. And I've got to always, always, always remember that I need my bloated nothingness, my ego, out of the way. Because that will frustrate the marriage's potential. And it's, it, the long form talks about a well-informed group conscience. That means that I don't intimidate her and tell her, oh, that's, you don't, you know. I'm going to tell a little story. I have eight more years sobriety than Suzanne. She used to come up with these ideas. Now, she's a Ph.D. and, you know, I didn't even go to finish college, you know. And she would come up to me and she would say, hey, you know what I'm thinking? And I'd go, I'd pat her on top of the head. And, you know, I, I think I thought that way, too, at that point in my sobriety. <laughs> now, that is not what the spirit of this tradition is about. However, she met Bob Jay down there, and, and she told him about me doing that. And uh, she'll tell you that story when she gets up here. Keep your wife away from old timers. <laughs> it's not a good deal. <laughs> um, but our common welfare, this deal here, the civil rights movement, they had a saying, the main thing is to keep the main thing. And if you want to be in a marriage, that's the main thing. We both have equal votes. Neither one of us govern. My actions are my real vote. Take some integrity. Integrity is where what I'm saying and agreeing to matches up to what I am actually going to do. Um, my sponsor gave me a wonderful prayer to use. And he goes, when, and, and we're going to start speeding through these traditions. But he gave me a wonderful prayer that whenever I got a little discouraged and me, 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 you know, um, he said, I want you to learn this prayer, Joel, I want you to meditate on this. And I said, okay. And he says, 
that in the context of thinking of our common welfare, our God speaking through me to Suzanne and through Suzanne to me because Fred also told me that there's a part of him that God figures only he can reach and heal in Jackie and there's a part of him that only that Jackie, God can reach through Jackie to him. And I, I respect that and I believe that. Now the prayer that my sponsor Bob gave me was, I am the place where God shines through. He and I are one, not two. I need not worry, fret, or plan. He wants me where and as I am. And if I be relaxed and free, he will carry out this plan through me. And then Bob asked me to apply that to, he taught me that. And then he asked me to write it down in third party as far as the principle of our relationship in this group conscience. And this is what I came up with. And again, just thinking, God talks to me through there. It's Our marriage is where God shines through. We are now one, not two. We need not worry, fret, or plan. He wants us where and as He planned. And if I be honest, open, and free, He will carry out His plans in all He would have us be. You see, this tradition when we practice it, is a state of humility exists because the ultimate authority is God. The uh, three questions for the checklist on this is this. Is, do I insist on being the leader? Do I feel that it is my place to govern? Do we strive for equity? Do I criticize my mate? Or do I trust her completely? Trusted servant. Is my ego so strong that I must have credit for more than I do? Am I so insecure that I must always have praise for my actions and ideas? Sweet. Trying to make sure I got that mind back, you know. All right, tradition three, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. And, and we think of what that means in terms of our marriage is that the basic requirement for a good relationship is a mutual desire, a strong commitment, and a foundation of strong principles through this program. You know, I, as, as dingy as I, I'm not going to talk about Joe, but as dingy as I have sometimes been in this relationship, I have never not believed that God brought us together. And, and we, Joe and I have gone through some really hard times, some of it, some of it, most of it probably of, of our own making, but you know, some of it's just been life. You know, we've gone through health problems. Um, Joe's going to talk about it later. You know, we went through a bankruptcy. We've, you know, my God, we had a kid come into the program. Thank you, God. Um, you know, so we've just been through some things in life. And, and, you know, there have been so many times uh, when it's, you know, I'm an alcoholic. It's so much easier for me to just say, the heck with it. You know, the one thing I'm really good at is I know how to leave. And, and one of the things that, that some old-timers told us when we were really having some hard times is they said, we don't say the D word. You know, and the D word is we don't, we don't talk about divorce. 
And, and i got to tell you, I want to say that I've always honored them. I'm not sure that I always have. But there have been days when I have had to go back on my knees and ask God to remind me why I'm here and what the lessons I'm supposed to be. You know, that I'm supposed to learn through this relationship. And, and you know, we really, a few years ago, we really went through a black period. I, I'm, I'm amazed and grateful that we're still together. It would have been easier to have walked out. But, you know, it's, it's that thing we tell, it's the thing we tell newcomers when they're doing their, their fourth and their fifth step. And, you know, we're looking at all the crap that we've accumulated in our lives. And lo and behold, never occurs to me. You know, who's the common denominator? I'm the common denominator every single time. And, and, you know, I got really clear that I can learn these lessons this time or I can go learning with somebody else or maybe not learning with somebody else. I, I don't want to do that anymore. You know, God, we alcoholics, we're such good starter-overs. You know, <laughs> I, I can pack a house. You know, I've been doing that my whole life. You know, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to break up yet one more household and start over with somebody else, deluding myself that this time it's going to be different. Because, you know, I, I for a long time when I was new, I would go around quoting what people say in the rooms. I just got a broken picker. Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but for God's sake, I'm the one who was broken. I'm broken. And I, I absolutely believe and have not stopped believing that God put this man in my life to help heal that brokenness. You know, there have been days where I swear we have just gotten up and done this marriage one day at a time. And I'm so grateful people told me I could do that. But they said we make our decisions based on the fundamental principles. We do not make decisions based on our emotions. You know, they told me that's true in my sobriety. They told me that's true at work, and it's definitely true in my marriage. God, I got up a couple days ago. I, you know, I'm not a morning person. And I just got up. I just woke up on the wrong side of the mor you know, on the bed. I don't know why. Joe didn't do anything. Next thing I know, I'm going, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, of course I got to make amends. But that's not the reason we make the decisions. We do them because God thinks this is the right place for me to be. And I, and I don't know why I've always had that feeling, but I've had that feeling. I'm supposed to be here. And I'm really grateful that we've stuck it through together long enough to get through the really bad times. I don't know what some of the future is going to be, but it gives me confidence that whatever comes up down the road. God's going to be there. And if God can stick it out with us, maybe we can stick it out together. Oh, checklist. Do my actions say that I have a desire and a commitment to be in this relationship? What does my ego, what does my mate have to do to keep my ego fluffed up? Ew. Am I more interested in blaming my partner than working on my part of the relationship? <laughs> Thank you, Sue. Okay, we're going to cut some down, but we'll be okay. 
Okay, tradition four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or A as a whole. The principle we get out of this is each of us should be autonomous except in matters affecting the other or our family. I can't blame Suzanne because I'm autonomous. I'm self-governing. My emotions, my decisions are of my own making. Big book in two places says our trouble is of our own making. And we, one of the things I really like out of this tradition is it's got a quote in it that says that each group has the right to be wrong. I have been involved in some groups that have made some horrible decisions, but out of each and every one of those horrible decisions, the group conscience came through and made them stronger and better. And it's kind of like a bird that breaks its wing. They say, oh, it can never fly again. That is not true. That wing, when that bone bends back together, it it's hollow, bird's bones, so that they wet, they're light and they can fly. When it grows back, where it is fused back together, it grows back stronger. And I think that has a lot to do with one of the principles behind this. The other thing is, it's Rule 62, don't take yourself too damn seriously. But a good, beautiful inventory with this is Middleton Group Number 1, Rule Number 62. They had 61 rules that they, had, that they wrote, and not a single one of them could have lived up to all 61 of those rules and been a member, because every one of them, even the best, couldn't have lived up to that. I have rules for being happy and for Suzanne treating me right and what she needs to be. And they're all a bunch of crap. I love what Bob Bassan says. They're dog turds wrapped in gold tinfoil. <laughs> so our thinking must become, how does this affect us rather than does it affect me? And I need to consult with Suzanne first. Neither one of us is an extension of the personality or attitude of the other. I'm a kind of a strong personality. Suzanne's sort of an introvert. And they can't judge me by her. They'll be really mistaken. But uh, and they can't think that she's part of me. We are, we are individuals. Um, I'm trying to read. We don't have the right to make commitments for one another without checking with the other one. And the fourth tradition suggests that we should take an honest look at our relationship, asking about each of our independently planned actions. Will they in any way compromise or subvert the alliance that we have worked so hard on? And the tradition checklist for tradition four is this. Do I feel like there are only certain ways to do things, are, and are they my ways? Do I insist on things being done in those ways? Do I always think about how or if my decisions will affect my partner? And if so, do I communicate with my partner and come to an agreement? How do I deal with my partner's anger regarding something I've done through my autonomy? Am I defensive? Do I try to subdue her with still greater anger? Do I point out previous mistakes that she made? Do I try to punish her in any way? All right, tradition five. You know, I once had a three-hour night class, and I, I had had like a 24-ounce Coke beforehand because I was getting kind of tired. And I, I looked after about half an hour into the class, and I'm looking at my students, and I'm like, you know, it's kind of how I feel. We're going to try to hurry and still be comprehensible here. So. 
Uh, short form of Tradition 5. Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its alcohol to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. I think I'm now on slip there. Um, a relationship has but one primary purpose, to love each other and to serve as an expression of God's love. Uh, I, I have to tell you that uh, for a long time in our marriage, I really abused the programs of Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon. Uh, and I love both programs. But I spent a lot of time trying to do inventories and trying to work the steps to get my husband to behave. <laughs> and uh, it did not once work. I, I don't understand that. It did not work. And, and amazingly, I had sponsors in both fellowships who reminded me pointedly that the purpose of both programs is to look at ourselves and to work these steps on ourselves. So finally I got that. Um, you know, the one thing I want to say real quick is that Joe and I have an AA marriage and we have an AA family. Um, we met in AA. Like I said, we have a, a daughter who got sober at 19. She's going to be celebrating five years in June. We're so grateful for that. We, we, are, uh, we both sponsor people. We have service commitments. We are very involved in AA. And, and i got to tell you that when things were not good, I really, you know, at that time my husband was a lot more active in the program than I, than I was, and I really resented it. You know, the, the phone never seemed to stop going. And, and I really wanted him to check the caller ID because I knew there was nobody more important that he needed to be focused on than me. And, you know, an amazing thing has happened. You know, what we've really learned is that the more active we stay in the program, I joke about this, the better we behave. You know? The, the more active I am, the better Joe seems to behave and vice versa. I don't know how that works. But, you know, it's very hard for me to come home and practice my character defects on my husband when I've just been working with a newcomer. We've been doing, you know, we've, I've been listening to her fifth step. We've been talking about what character defects are. The more I seem to stay in my own program, the better the marriage becomes. Checklist for, for Tradition 5, do we have a primary purpose and do we know what it is? Do I resort to emotional blackmail? Do I ever start sentences with the phrase, if you really loved me? <laughs> Do I really understand that I have a part in everything and that whenever I am upset, there is something wrong with me? Thank you. This Tradition 6 is just an incredible. And if, if you had to turn your thinking cap on, as one of my teachers used to say, and really listen to one, it, it would be this one. This tradition, I'll read it, it says an AA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the AA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Here's how we apply it. We ought never single-handedly endorse, finance, or lend our name to any outside enterprise, lest money's less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary commitment to one another. What this tradition is really doing is asking us to not put the material before the spiritual. And let me give you an example of this. And this is the, 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 the tradition of this whole workshop that I'm doing that I, I'm just telling you this one means the most to me. I, uh, 
I ran into a little bit of money, and I, I had, um, I went, I used it, and I invested, and I went into business. As you know, I've been sober for 10 years, and being a, a semi-pro AA, uh, AA missionary, and sponsoring, and doing service, and all this. It's time for me. I seem to have forgotten that part in the big book where a much more important demonstration of these principles are needed is home life, occupation, and um, affairs. And I went into business. And that business became my primary purpose. I went to a meeting every once in a while. I checked the caller ID. And I'm telling you, I made a lot of money. It was like a whiskey in my milk idea. You know, I said, I'm doing this. What if I turned it up and went really big? What would happen? Well, I, I quit going to meetings. I'd go to one or two a week maybe. I stopped working with people because, you know, I needed to, to make some money, and I lost sight of my primary purpose. And, our, and a reflection of that was I was the most hated person in my district because I'd go to meetings judging my way out of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was a direct reflection the way I was in the meetings I was going to, in my marriage, and the relationship I had with God and myself. What ended up happening is that, that that business crashed and burned. We had sheriffs serving us with papers. We had attorneys coming over, knocking on the front door. We had bank presidents coming over. We had bank presidents getting fired. It was horrible. And the only thing we could do would be hop in the car and go down to Divine, Texas, the Rule 62, and meet with those good old hard time, hardcore AA old-timers. And we would drive down there and we would listen to AA tapes. And we would go down there and we'd pick up my daughter because she was freshly sober. And they hated each other. I would try to fix it and get, have them at dinner. And, and we'd have, buy a steak. My daughter loves steaks. And they, I'd say, hey, you know, Suzanne was saying this. You know, Meg, you know. And my daughter said, and she'd leave. But Meg, there's a steak, you know. And I would, I would try to work the deal and get them to like each other on the way down to Divine. And finally, I had to let go. Absolutely. And it's a miracle when that happened because I had a friend, the guy I sobered up with it, 16 years, he went out. He did exactly what I did. He went out and got drunk. At two days so uh, drunk, I went and got him because Mona was going to throw him out of the house. I went down and got Mike, took him up in a condo that I have that I had set up for an office because I was working a lot there on my business property. And I took him to meetings. And he, he got a desire chip. He'd go out and panhandle. The third day after I brought him up, I walked in that morning. I knocked on the door. There wasn't any answer. I opened up the door, and I found Mike Whitson dead. And I'm going to tell you, that death. See, things that happen are either blessings to us or for somebody else. And I don't want to go way off the deep end and get metaphysical or anything. But that's what could have happened to our marriage. That's what she was talking about. I failed to make the main thing the main thing. To seek and serve God and to be open to this. I made something else my God. 
And I got into this. Being, and now I'll move on because we're running out of time. We have to remember that we are a team and that we must be considerate of the other. Neither of us can make loans or commitments of time, money, property, or prestige or resources without the other's prior knowledge and consent. Giving of ourselves is joyful intimacy. That's the risk of being vulnerable. And the exchange for that is having intimacy. And um, there's a Khalil Gibran quote that really helps me here. Because, see, I grew up a poor kid in the projects. I thought if I had a big Rolex, I had a big fancy car, a pretty wife, and a big house with a circle driveway, that's the most emptiest you could ever feel in your life when you have those and you still know something's wrong. Page 42 says, quite as important was the discovery that spiritual principles would solve all my problems. All. There is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. And that's what this tradition has me... me um, uh, Focus on. It says right here, Khalil Gibran, it says, You give but little if you give of your possessions. It is when you give of yourself that you truly give. The tradition uh, checklist here is Do I encourage and support my partner? Can I hear God's voice when I am screaming at my mate? I don't think so. Do I allow my partner the dignity to fail? Do I take responsibility for my own spiritual, emotional, and physical needs? Okay, Tradition 7. Every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting to finding outside contributions. And in terms of our marriage, we think that means that each of us ought to be self-supporting spiritually, emotionally, and physically. You know, uh, I have a, a tendency to be overly responsible in some areas of my relationships. And, and it's not because I'm such a good person, even though I did come in here thinking that. It, it's really some control mechanism, you know. And, and one time when I was down working the steps slash working the deal with Joe's old sponsor, trying to get him to, to make Joe behave, and I would go in and wind his office about how mean Joe was to me. You know, he said something that has really stuck with me. He said, you know, in any relationship, the most we can be responsible for is our 100% of our 50% of that relationship. And that's it. And that has really stayed with me. Um, you know, I, I am my own person. Joe is his own person. We, we are not reflections of each other. My God, we are not the same people. We frequently have very different opinions. We've had different experiences in some area. I respect him and I love him. But we're not carbon copies of each other. Uh, one of the areas I have to tell you where the, the seventh tradition has really come up in our marriage has been over the issue of kids. You know, Dave Pistol has what he calls the, the silver rule. You know, the golden rules treat others like you would have them treat, treat you. And he says the silver rule is we don't do for others what they, they're capable of doing for themselves. And we went through a, a period in our marriage where, you know, our oldest daughter was calling up. She was married and they had a, a baby and she was calling us up regularly asking for, asking for money, saying, you know, the paycheck didn't stretch far enough to get, to get diapers through the end of the month. Now, she and her husband were making more money than Joe and I were. And we, you know, and, and Joe, I think, you know, she's the, she's the kid who was in the aquarium while he was, you know, in the hospital. 
I think, Joe, like a lot of alcoholic parents felt a lot of guilt about not being able to be there for her. And so, you know, we would send it. And it got to the point where, you know, I love what Bob B. talks about. I'm not sober until I'm sober in every area of my life. And we got more and more interested in becoming financially sober. And we started looking at how much money we were sending and the fact that we weren't paying our bills because we were paying hers. And, you know, more to the point is this is, this is a grown person who's married to a grown person who's a parent. You know, are we doing the right thing by her? That, that was really the real question. And, you know, I finally said to Joe, I said, you know, sweetheart, I really hope you think that you have more to give to your daughter than just money. I hope you think that you've got more love than what you can add up in a cash register, because that ain't much. I had a father who was always giving us money, and it wasn't enough. You know, I love my dad. Please, I just made amends to my dad for some stuff. I'm really glad I got to do that. But money's not enough. And God knows we alcoholics, we love the grand gesture, don't we? We just love to walk in and roll out the cash book. And so what we finally had to do is, you know, next time she called, we had to say, I'm sorry, we can't, can't spare it. You know, we can't do it because it's not right to our, to our creditors who we're not paying. Well, you know, guess what happened? In a year or so, she, she and her husband got really interested in learning how to manage their finances better. They saved up enough money to buy a house. They became financially self-supporting, and so did we. A couple years later, John, you know, her husband lost his job, and they were on the verge of losing their house because they didn't have the money to pay the mortgage. Did we have any trouble sending them the money? Not at all. Not at all. But it was a one-time thing, and it was a real emergency. So, you know, we've been, we've been really careful about what those lines are and not thinking that we can use money as a substitute for saying, I love you. I'm, I'm here for you. Checklist for Tradition 7. Do I try to manage or control through the purse strings or through emotional blackmail or bullying? Am I a good steward of our resources? Do I demand precise equality? And if so, do I monitor my share as closely as I monitor my mates? Tradition 8. Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. We apply this in the following manner. Our relationships should be forever non-unprofessional, free and giving to each other. I don't like people who play know-it-all. I don't know about you all, it really gets under my skin, unless I'm the one doing it. <laughs> but we each have special gifts, and, and I think that's what this tradition is, is we each have special gifts from God. If we're not using them... If we are using them selfishly, in other words, tit for tat, for hire, then we're going to frustrate God's will for our marriage. And that's what this tradition is really asking us to do, is not to do that. And um, we avoid taking a professional know-it-all attitude. Um, when we try to act as though we, we um, know it all, we're playing God. And what we're really doing is diminishing, diminishing our unity by putting 
the other person down. When we do this, our egos, not God, are in charge. Relationships require intimacy and vulnerability. When we act like a know-it-all, what we're really making is it's impossible for our partner to um, have a relationship with God and for us to see that, that God coming through our partner. Uh, we divide up relationships according to our each individual talents. There's things Suzanne's a lot better at than I am, and there's things I'm a lot better at than she is. And we don't just have gender, well, women do housework, well, men do this. We, we, we spread it up with whichever one of us is the best. And what we've got is uh, the checklist for this tradition is, do I try to sound like an expert on things? If so, why do I need to do that? Is my security at risk? Is my fear triggered? Does my ego feel threatened? Do I believe that one or the other partner should be in charge based on their gender or experience, education, job, or anything? Does my identity and feelings of self-worth depend on my relationship with my mate, allowing other people places and things to determine my value instead of my relationship with God? And do I charge my mate a fee for being in a relationship with me. Tradition 9. Okay, we're going to really try to hurry and wrap this up. Tradition 9, it is such that never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Our relationship ought never be organized or under the control of only one partner. And, you know, this tradition really points to the difference between the spirit of autonomy and the spirit of service. This tradition is about having fun together. You know, it tells us, it reminds us, you know, we love Rule 62. It reminds us to lighten up. You know, neither one of us got the monopoly on truth and, and justice here. And, you know, I think what, what more than anything else this tradition has done for us is, I, I don't know about any of you, but my past marriages always seemed to get to the same place. And the same place was we were always locked in a power struggle, and it was the most joyless, funless place to be. And I think when we follow that Tradition 9, that it keeps us out of that place. I just want to say real quickly that, you know, I, I tend to think I know how to do a lot of things, uh, whether I actually do or not. And uh, sometimes God does for me what I cannot do myself. Last fall I got really sick, and there were a lot of things I couldn't do. And Joe had to step up and do them. And, and, you know, I kept noticing he did them wrong, but they kept getting done. So I think there was the lesson there. Checklist for Tradition 9. Do I try to be boss? Do I have relationship rules? Have I learned how and when to step aside gracefully when I begin to overstep my bounds? Who decides what in the day-to-day -day business of a relationship? Or who decides who do does what? Am I a piece at any price person? Doesn't this get to be expensive at times? Tradition 10. Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the AA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. The way we apply this is we are entitled to our own opinion on outside issues. Hence, our name ought never be drawn into public controversy. My sponsor told me the first five years of my sobriety that I couldn't have an opinion. And then when my fifth year was up, I went to him and said, uh, can I have an opinion now? And he says, yes, but you can't tell anybody for the next five. <laughs> All right, and, and here, here is anything that is not 
Loving is an outside issue of this marriage. Anything that is not loving is an outside issue in this marriage. Remember on page 27 when Roland was in uh, Sweden and met with uh, Dr. Young? Old ideas, attitudes, and beliefs which were once the guiding force in our lives were suddenly cast aside and replaced with a completely new set of... We know what doesn't work. Let's leave that behind and let's only bring to the table what does work. We need to stay focused on our primary purpose, avoiding useless arguments on outside issues. Live and let live. When we're looking at faults, like I said earlier, we need to not be looking at them with micro microscope. We need to be looking at them through a mirror. Avoid then the deliberate manufacturing of misery, but when trouble comes, cheerfully capitalize on it as an opportunity for God to show us his omnipotence. This, this tradition tells me to act better than I feel. If I don't grab a crap, act like I do. She loves going to... Well, I'll get to that in the next tradition. Um, act... We do not drag our relationship into public controversy. There is nothing worse than going out to eat with a couple when they're fighting. It's embarrassing and it's, it's, it's boring. I don't want to be around that crap. All right. We don't speak ill of each other in, in public. Now, that's, it's appropriate to talk that over with your sponsor if you get to that point. You get more flies with sugar than you do with vinegar. Keeping our eagles in check in this area maintains our marital unity. And uh, my opinion is like fact, but it's pretty bad uh, usually. Now, checklist for Tradition 10 is this. is Do I give the impression that we have an opinion? Am I a key, its keeper? Am I careful to keep confidence given to me by my partner? Am I, to am I publicly critical of my mate? What about a code of love, honor, or love and tolerance of others? That's it. Okay, traditional love in short form. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. You know, it's attraction rather than promotion that brought us into the marriage, and it's attraction that keeps us here. And, you know, I, I think like a lot of alcoholics, when, when we hear the word attraction, we have a very limited idea about what that means. But, you know, this is really not just about physical attraction that's important, but it's about the emotional and the spiritual attraction to each other as well. And, you know, the, the, the paradox of this is that, I, I don't know, I've done this many, many times in relationships. You know, I fall in love with somebody who's totally different from me, and then I spend all this time trying to change them so that they'll be my clone. And then I can't figure out why they're mad and I'm mad. So, you know, part of this is accepting my partner for who and what he is, not who and what I, I think he should be. And, and what's the anonymity mean? You know, I, I sometimes will call my sponsor. My, my sponsor's a, a widow now, but she was married for close to 30 years in the program. And, you know, I'll, I'll complain to her about something. And, you know, the first question she asks me all the time is she'll say, is this a role that you've given yourself? Is this a role that somebody else has tried to give you that you've chosen to take on? Or is this the role that God's given you? And when I remember to play the role that God's given me, it's very easy for me to exercise anonymity in my relationship. It's very easy for me to do kind things for my husband because I love him, and I, want, I know that God wants that love to come through me to him. Just real quickly, the checklist for traditional loving. 
Do I think my relationship is attractive to others or is it shabby? Is my partner ever embarrassed or humiliated by my appearance or my actions? Can I do good things for my relationship anonymously? Do I do good things for my relationship anonymously? And now we know why the first two words of Tradition 12 is, and finally. Okay, we're going to burn through this. I'm amazed that we can get through the 12 traditions in 60 minutes. I'm going to tell you, that's, that's an achievement. This usually kind of a workshop that takes a couple of days. Okay, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all of our traditions ever reminded us to place principles before personalities. How we apply this is anonymity or selflessness is the spiritual foundation of our way of our marriage. Ever reminded us to place principles before personalities. We have learned that lessons can be learned from our past. Let's take what worked and build on that. Let's leave what didn't behind. Okay, in this tradition we are reminded that our primary purpose is to be of service and to express God's love and to treat others well. Anonymity means having spiritual integrity. Do what is right because it's right with no ulterior motives. Principles before personality. Anonymity is real humility. Humility is, I love, I've heard this in a meeting before, not thinking less of yourself, just thinking of yourself less. It's self-serving. It's, it's the opposite of self-serving. It's others serving. The principle of the 12th tradition and the 12th step is service to God and others. I'm wearing a little pin here that was given to me by Hal Marley. I used to go to meetings at the U.S. Capitol with him in the war room at 8.30 every Tuesday morning. He wrote on February 24th in the Daily Reflections, he wrote a thankful heart. And he gave this to me when we were in the elevator going downstairs after the meeting to eat at the executive dining room. Hal died on his same day that he wrote that. Uh, 37 years uh, sober later. And I, whenever we get to this tradition, I always quote what Hal wrote there, and I'll close with that. And it says, A thankful heart. I try to hold fast to the truth that a full and thankful heart cannot entertain great conceits. When brimming with gratitude, one's heartbeat must surely rest in outgoing love, the finest emotion that we can ever know. Bill wrote that. And what Hal wrote was, my sponsor told me that I should be a, a grateful alcoholic and always have an attitude of gratitude. And that's what this pen says that Hal gave me. An attitude of gratitude. That gratitude was the basic ingredient of humility. That humility was the basic ingredient of that anonymity. And that anonymity was the spiritual foundation of all of our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. As a result... Of his guidance, I start every morning on my knees with, and I'm thanking God for three things. And I added a fourth because this is a relationship, uh, applying the 12 traditions to your loving relationships. And it's, I thank God for four things. I thank God that I'm alive, that I'm sober, that I have the most beautiful wife in the world, and that I am a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And then I try to live an attitude of gratitude and thoroughly enjoy another 24 hours of our program's way of life. AA is not something that I joined, it's something that I live. Now I'm going to read the, the uh, 12th tradition, and then I'm going to do three of the checkpoints, and then we get to eat. 
And finally, we of Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the principle of anonymity has an immense spiritual significance. It reminds us that we are to place principles before personalities, that we are to actually practice a genuine humility. This to the end, that our great blessings may never spoil us, that we shall forever live in thankful contemplation of him who presides over us all. Check list for this. Would I like my behavior to be on tomorrow's front page of the Austin Statesman? Am I treating my wife in private the way I would if my sponsors, sponsees, or members of my home group could see? How would a good member of it? My sponsor, I call him complaining, and I say, Bob, God, you know, she... And he goes, Joe, I'm not saying you, but I'm just saying a good member of AA. Not you, just a good member of AA who was really going to trust God. How would he behave in this situation? He's really, t oh, he's cruel. <laughs> so how would he do, and how would he treat his mate in this uh, particular? And then finally, is the way that I am treating Suzanne likely to complement our marriage or contaminate it? Thank you all very much. <laughs>